are in week three of a series that we're calling Believe, and we're looking at um, some of the intersection points between science and faith, between religion and faith, and there are plenty. Faith and science are not at odds. In many ways, they are complementary to each other, and I think we're going to see more evidence of that um, this morning. The first week, we talked about the moral argument for the existence of God. Um, Last week, we talked about one of my favorites, the cosmological argument, or the argument kind of um, from beginnings. And so we talked about some even very recent, just this month, discoveries um, from astronomy, cosmology, about the Big Bang and and gravitational ripples, and and really how the Bible talks about, hey, there is, yeah, a specific beginning point. And science is now validating uh, over and over the Big Bang, the beginning of the universe. And we talked about how those things converge um, and so it was an argument from beginnings last week. Those two are both online. You can get those, listen to those. Um, today, we are moving into um, one I'm very excited about um, that is really an argument from fine-tuning. And so we're going to talk about that this morning as we get started. All right, have to find it here. There it is. You've been hiding from me. Fine-tuning, and I want to start with some words, 2,000-year-old words from a fellow named Paul. Um, You've heard of him, a very strong disciple of Jesus Christ, and he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and he shared with them how we are able to encounter God to some extent without even opening the Bible that you can look up in the night sky, you can look around into the natural world and to some extent learn some things about God. He writes to them in chapter 20 of, of, uh, in verse 20 of chapter 1, he says, Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His external power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. So Paul tells these folks in Rome a long, long time ago that God architected the universe. He he blueprinted it out. He mapped it out. He designed it. And that even without appealing to Scripture, that you can look into the universe God made, and that you can see... you can see some of His invisible qualities on full display. And we're going to get to this argument from fine-tuning in a moment, which is based on that. But first, I want to tell you about a guy named Nicholas Caputo. And I want to tell you, this is actually going to fit. We're going to to kind of bookend the lesson today by talking about this guy. It'll all come together, so just kind of hold on to it. Nicholas Caputo was an elected official in Essex County, New Jersey, the county clerk, actually. And some suspicious stuff happened during his tenure as county clerk in Essex County, New Jersey. Um, One of his duties there was to create the ballots in the elections. They had the old-time paper ballots. And so it was to select at random the order that the candidates would appear in on the ballot. Like who would be at the top of the ballot? Whose name would come first? All right? And apparently that's important. All right? Apparently, if you are at the top of the ballot, it increases your odds of winning. You, those candidates tend to get more votes. Like if I don't know either candidate, sometimes people just check that first one. Okay? The weird thing was this. On his ballots in Essex County, a particular political party had their candidate appear 
on the top 40 out of 41 times. So in 41 elections that were being disputed, a particular political party had their candidate on the top 40 out of 41 times, and that seemed rather suspicious. Was it possible? I mean, could, could a random drawing of names produce that result? Well, yeah, it, it's possible. Is it possible that that is a coincidence that one party had all but one time their candidate at the top of that? Well, it's, it's, it's possible, but it's quite improbable. In fact, if you're wondering, the odds are 50 billion to one against that happening 40 out of 41 times. So in the case of... of, of um, Caputo versus Voltaggio, the court had to decide whether the selection really was random, whether that really was just a chance that that happened, improbable, but it happened that way, or that there might have been some tinkering involved. So keep that in the back of your mind. We'll, talk, we'll go back to Caputo in just a few moments. But one of the arguments for the existence of God, which is quite old, um, uh, but it has taken a, a contemporary form, and it's now called the fine-tuning argument. It used to be called like the teleological argument, the argument uh, from design, um, but now it's more often referred to as the fine-tuning argument, is about the nature of the universe. And it is about the fact that the odds against a universe having all of the qualities necessary to support life, i.e. us, are really, really low. Astronomically, no pun intended, low, that that, that would happen. And so the argument goes like this. This is on your, in your bulletin this morning. Here, here's how that, just three points in this argument. Number one, the fine-tuning of the universe, that, that the universe would have all these qualities necessary to have life here on earth. The fine-tuning of the universe is due to and we're trying to extinguish the possibilities here, either physical necessity, the universe just had to be um, a universe that would, would sustain life, so physical necessity it just had to be, or it was by chance, or it was by purposeful design. Okay, that's the first premise. Those are the possibilities. The second premise goes like this. The fine-tuning is not due to physical necessity or chance, therefore three... It is due to purposeful design. Now, this is a logically valid argument. It doesn't mean it's true. It's logically valid. We've talked about this. This simply means that if premise one is true, if, and if premise two is true, then premise three necessarily follows. So what we want to determine is whether those premises are in fact true, because if they're true, then three is true, that the universe is the product of purposeful design. And I think the implications of this are pretty clear uh, because if the universe is a result, if somebody tinkered with it, if somebody tinkered with the laws of physics, the, the natural laws of the universe, and made it so that human beings would, would live and survive and thrive, then you have a really strong argument for a God and the God, in fact, of the Bible. So what you do in premise two, obviously premise two is the bone of contention. That's where the argument lies. That's where the clash between ideas is going to happen. Uh, premise two, that it wasn't caused, this, this fine-tuned universe, not by chance, not by physical necessity. That's where the clash is going to happen. And if they're eliminated, the only thing you have left is purposeful design. So before we go any further, why would somebody come to the conclusion, and many have, um, that the universe 
is fine-tuned to life here on earth. Um, There are a number of ways you can talk about fine-tuning. We're going to look at the properties of the universe. Um, There are about 35 properties that have to be just so. They have to be exactly right in order for life to exist on earth. We're going to talk about about a half dozen of those. Okay? You could talk about the properties of our own planet. All right? um, there are a number of characteristics, like it has to be just so far away from the sun so that it's not too cold, it's not too hot. Um, it has to be just so far away from the moon so that we have the right tidal influences on the oceans. You can do that, but we're not going to talk about that stuff this morning. We're going to focus on the universe itself, some of the properties that have to be just right. The first one, this is on your outline, is that the universe must have a large enough or a strong enough expansion rate, okay? Um, The start of the universe had to have enough force to get us where we are today or life couldn't exist. You've probably heard of a guy named Stephen Hawking. He kind of explains this. He says, if the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million the universe would have re-collapsed before it ever reached its present size. In other words, we wouldn't be here today. Life would not have happened. So it had to be strong enough, but it couldn't be too strong. That's the second characteristic. It had to be strong enough, but the second characteristic, you had to have a controlled expansion rate. Okay, Not too weak, not too strong. Um, although the expansion rate had to be strong enough for the universe to, 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 to grow and avoid a big collapsing upon itself, a big crunch, if its outward force had been even a, fracture, a fraction rather stronger, then it would have been too much gravity to form stars and planets. Life would never have been possible. So the next one is the force of gravity. Let's talk about gravity for a second. If gravitational force, the force of gravity, if gravitational force were altered by, and let's pop that slide up, if we will, because I'm not going to say this number, okay? If, gravitation, if gravitational force were altered by point a whole bunch of zeros, 1%, neither Earth nor Sun would exist, we wouldn't be here. Now, the equilibrium between matter and antimatter. In the formation of the universe, the balance between matter and antimatter and the excess of matter over and against antimatter had to be accurate to one one part in 10 billion in order for the universe to arise. The next one is the mass density of the universe. For life to exist, the mass density of the universe must be fine-tuned to better to one part in a trillion, 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 trillion. All right, you have to have that level of exactness with the, with the density of the universe, the mass density to have life. Now, space energy density, this is the next one, and the last one we're going to talk about in this kind of set of characteristics that we're dealing with this morning, um, the space energy density, uh, it required even like far greater precision than the mass density Um, For physical life to be possible, it must be tuned to one part in 10 to the 120th power. Okay, one part in 10 to the 120th power. And if you're like me, these kinds of numbers just kind of give you a tired head. 
I mean, they're just kind of really hard to even kind of begin to think about and try to imagine the size of these numbers. But according to the Big Bang Theory, all of this intricate fine-tuning was programmed into the universe from the beginning, or at least the moment after the beginning of the universe, so that we would have a planet Earth that would sustain life. All of that stuff had to be true. Um, and there are, like, like I said, there are 35 of these just in terms of the, the, the characteristics of the universe itself that had to be set exactly right. Imagine dials up in space, and all those dials had to be set to just the right numbers so that we could exist. And we're not even talking about, like I said, the, the solar system. You can make similar points about the solar system itself or our galaxy or even our own planet and our atmosphere. Here's the point. This is on your outline this morning. The universe is precisely fine-tuned for our existence here on earth. It is precisely fine-tuned for our existence here on earth. Even scientists recognize this. Paul Davies, a physicist, wrote, The conclusion must be that we live in a world of astronomical unlikelihood. We live in a very, very improbable world, given all of these factors. Now, if you're like me, like I said, these numbers just kind of blow your mind. So let's try to put it in some context, in some perspective. Um, imagine that you chose one grain of sand, right? Out of all of the grains of sand on the face of this planet, you chose one grain of sand, and you tagged it, okay? Maybe some microscopic microchip or something that you were able to stick on that grain of sand. You tagged that grain of sand. And imagine that you blindfolded a person and you said, you need to choose a grain of sand here on planet Earth. Okay? And this blindfolded person reached down, picked up one grain of sand, and it just happened to be the one that you had tagged. Okay? The odds in that happening of that happening are 10 to the 20th power. 10 to the 20th power. Okay, think about this. Let's say that you put in some incentive, okay? If you, blindfolded person, are able to pick out on your first try that one grain of sand that we have tagged, if you're able to do that, we're going to give you $100 million. And imagine that that person... Pulled it off. Wow! They reached down and they selected with that blindfold on that one grain of sand and it just happened to be the one on the entire planet that you had tagged with a microchip. They've won $100 million. Would you be a little suspicious? Would you think, something was, would you think somebody had tinkered with that a little bit? I mean, those are some pretty long odds and those would be 10 to the 20th power. But remember, we're not talking about 10 to the 20th power. We're talking about 10 to the 120th power. It would almost be a layup picking out that grain of sand compared to the statistical improbability of the universe being fine-tuned the way it is. An article in U.S. News remarked, So far, no theory is even close to explaining why physical laws exist, much less why they take the form they do. Standard Big Bang Theory, for example, you, uh, for example you, especially, essentially explains the propitious universe in this way. 
Well, we got lucky. I'll say, we, we won the lottery and then some, folks. So we live in a fine-tuned universe. Scientists sometimes refer to this as the anthropomorphic principle. It just means that, wow, it really seems like the universe has conspired for us to benefit. It really seems like everything is pointing at human beings and saying, we want for human beings to thrive, to do well, okay? That's what it seems like when you look at the evidence, and scientists call this the anthropomorphic principle. It seems like the universe favors human life in a pretty spectacular way. Back to the argument. So the first point was fine-tuning of the universe is due to either physical necessity or chance or purposeful design. Two, it's not due to purposeful... It's not due to... I'm sorry. It's not due to um, physical necessity or chance. Therefore, three, it is due to purposeful design. Um, So premise two, fine-tuning is not due to physical necessity or chance. Let's think about that. Is, Is that really true? Does that really hold? Um, If it is, then we have a universe that was designed. If it is, then we have a universe that had an architect that put it together. Um, So could the fine-tuning of the universe that's, that's out there, could that be due to physical necessity? In other words, is it a property of universes that they must be capable of sustaining life? That it is physical, physically necessary that if there is a universe, it must sustain life. Of course, that is a ridiculous notion. Not only do we not have evidence for that, but as we just talked about, there are heaps of evidence uh, against that. There's a pile of evidence pointing to the conclusion that it is far, 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 far more probable that a universe is not going to sustain life than that all of the dials are going to be set exactly right and that it will sustain life. Um, and like we said, there's just no physical evidence that that's true, no scientific evidence that, that it's a necessity of universes that they be life-supporting and life-sustaining. So really, you, you saw this probably in the beginning. What it's going to come down to is chance versus design. What it's going to come down to is the random versus the planned. Um, and it's obvious, I think we can say, that the fine-tuning of the universe is, is not due to physical necessity. It, it didn't have to be this way. So, did it occur by chance? Um, of course, we've already been talking about this. The grains of sand on the beach, 10 to the 20th power, or in the case of the universe, 10 to the 124th power. Um, could it have happened by chance? So, you're saying there's a chance. Well, and it's not like we're dealing with a chance, like one in a million. <laughs> or like Caputo's legal case, one in 50 billion. We're not dealing with those. Those would be fantastic odds. Those would be fantastic. We're dealing with odds that are astronomically higher than those. Very difficult to explain. That's why uh, physicist Fred Hoyle, um, a legend in England, um, proclaimed, and he's at the Institute of Astronomy in Cambridge, he proclaimed a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the laws of physics. Hoyle says it really appears that somebody was tinkering with the universe from the beginning. 
Or physicist Freeman Dyson, who said, The more I examine the universe, the more I study the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe, in some sense, must have known we were coming. <laughs> now, some theorists, realizing this demands an explanation, all right? Um, if, if you have predecided, look, God is not an option. There, w- there cannot be a supernatural explanation. I will not accept it. Right, then you've got to come up with some explanation for the fine-tuning of the universe, and there have been various attempts. All right? Um, right now, probably, probably the, t- the most common explanation would be called the mini-worlds hypothesis or the multiverse. Okay? Kind of the same deal there, that, that there are a lot of other universes out there. Some have hypothesized there are an infinite number of universes out there and so that, to, that is a way to explain the incredible odds against us being here today. That really, yeah, it'd be, it'd be almost impossible if, if we were the only universe, but what if there were trillions of universes? What if there was an infinite number? Then the odds get higher and higher and higher. And so that has been, or is perhaps the most common explanation right now if you're not going to, to go to Genesis 1. Um, Now, we saw last week that that is essentially at odds with the best scientific thinking today, which, remember last week, we had a number of quotations from atheists and theists that the Big Bang is presupposing that something came from nothing. We don't have anything before the Big Bang, before that event. So what we have, this universe came out of nothing, not out of a a million or billion other universes that are out there. Furthermore, just as a principle of logic and one that undergirds science today, how we do science is the appeal to the simplest explanation, right? It's called Occam's Razor. A guy named William of Occam came up with this principle of logic a long time ago, which says the simple explanation, all things being equal, is to be preferred preferred to the elaborate, complex explanation. Um, And this is widely accepted in science. And when there are a variety of possible explanations, go with the one that requires the fewest assumptions, right? My daughter Claudia loves Samoas, right? The Girl Scout cookies, Samoas. I, I pretty much like all Girl Scout cookies, but I'll, Samoas are great too, but I'll take anything. Um, if the box of Samoas that she got and placed in our kitchen is suddenly empty, she is going to try to find a way to explain how that box of Samoas got empty. And I'm pretty sure I know where she's going to look based on historical precedent. She's going to say, Dad, you ate my Samoas. In fact, I think this scenario happened like last week. (laughs) Okay? You ate my Samoas. It was either me or David actually likes Samoas now too as well as you. So it was... She's got a pretty good short list of candidates as to who... It's either me or David. Isla doesn't really like cookies that much. There would be other possible explanations... Perhaps there was a a cargo plane from Manaus, Brazil, from the Amazon that landed at DFW. And a monkey escaped out of the cargo plane. It's possible. It's possible. That monkey made her way across DFW, from DFW, from the airport, over to our house, broke into our house, found the Samoas, ate them, broke out, and and didn't leave a trace that she put the screen back on the window or however she broke in, left it just... I mean, that is a possi- that's a 
theoretically possible explanation. It doesn't mean it's a good one. Right? So Occam's razor says you go with the simplest explanation, the one with the fewest assumptions. A multiverse theory generally, like I said, comes from people who've already pre-decided there is no God. Okay, cannot even entertain that. And if you are determined not to believe in God, then you need something like the monkey hopping off the plane. You need an infinite number of universes or a trillion, trillion universes. You need something like that in order to reasonably hold that this fine-tuned universe just happened by chance. Now, there are those who simply come to terms with the math and the science and the high probability of things and said, there's a God given the evidence. Um, Werner von Braum, founder of rocket science, uh, NASA fame, legend, legendary figure in the science community, he wrote this. He said, the vast mysteries of the universe should only confirm our belief in the certainty of its creator. I find it is difficult to understand a scientist who doesn't acknowledge the presence of a superior rationality behind the existence of the universe as it is to comprehend a theologian who would deny the advances of science. So premise two holds. Um, the fine-tuning is not due to physical necessity. That's ridiculous. It's not due to chance. The odds are way, way, way too great. So the fine-tuning of the universe points to purposeful design. It points to, to God. Now, King David was not a rocket scientist like von Braum, but he was a, a smart fellow. And about 3,000 years ago, he noticed when he looked up into the stars at night, he noticed the beauty of its creator and the design that was apparent to him. He wrote these words in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, right out of the Hebrew songbook. He wrote, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his, his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Now, they're not saying words here, but they're speaking. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the, the earth and their words to all the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The fine-tuning of the universe declares the power, the creativity, the intellect, the wisdom, the beauty of God. Back to the trial of Nicholas Caputo, Supreme Court of New Jersey. The charge was that he had somehow rigged the process, the random process. He had somehow rigged that so that a particular party won the top spot on those ballots. And the circumstantial evidence was pretty weighty. Forty out of 41 times a particular party got their candidate at the top of the order. The odds against that happening again, one in 50 billion. There just had to be an explanation. So that was the court's job, was to look at various explanations. How could this have happened? Can we find something that explains the astronomical odds here? And the court considered several. It considered perhaps Caputo was using a process that was flawed, only he didn't know it was flawed. Okay? It'd be like a guy flipping a double-headed coin, you know, heads or tails, and it's always coming up heads. 
He isn't aware that the coin is double-headed, but it is, and so he's using a process that's just kind of flawed. But the court decided, no, that's not it. The process appears legit. I mean, he's drawing the candidate's names out of a hat or out of, out of a bucket there, and, and that appears to be a legitimate process, except one little detail. The witnesses who were there, and there were witnesses there, their view was obscured of the process. So basically what I'm saying is this. Um, the witnesses couldn't tell, tell if the names that he was drawing out of the hat were actually the names he was announcing. Okay? But the process seemed theoretically valid. So they considered that. They discounted that the process itself was flawed accidentally. They dismissed that. that um, but it could have just been chance. But the court decided one in 50 billion. Seriously? They just couldn't buy that that just happened by blind chance. But it was still possible. Except for one factor I haven't told you about yet. <laughs> Nicholas Caputo ran for county clerk as a Democrat. All right. And guess which party won 40 out of 41 of the top spots on the ballots? Mm-hmm. And so the court said, we have what they called an explanatory filter. We have an explanatory filter now that this fellow had some interest in seeing that this result happened. That 40 out of 41 times, it could have been chance, but it wasn't because he had an interest in seeing it happen. So we know something fishy was going on there, and the court determined that Caputo had tinkered with the process in order to make it come out just the way he wanted it to. Back to the fine-tuning of the universe. Um, what about those odds? One in 50 billion is, is nothing compared to the odds that the dials would be set just perfectly so. The logical conclusion is somebody was tinkering with those laws. Someone was, was rigging this whole thing. Harvard-educated astrophysicist uh, from NASA, John O'Keefe, wrote, uh, if the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision we would never have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicated that, the indicated that the universe was created for man to live in. So the argument, back to the argument. One, fine-tuning of the universe is due to physical necessity, to chance, or to purposeful design. Two, the fine-tuning is not due to physical necessity or chance. Therefore, three, it is due to purposeful design. Now, the consequences of the God question. The God, does God exist or does God not exist? The consequences of that question are so great, you can't ignore the question or you should not ignore the question. If God exists, then there's a reason that you're here. If God exists, then there is meaning to your life here. If God is, exists, He wants for you to know Him. After all, He wrote Himself up in the stars for you to see. If God exists, He wants to be known. He wants to have a relationship with you. If God exists, then you're not an accident. 
of time, space, and matter. If God exists, then what you do with His Son will have a huge impact, not only on your eternity, but on your day-to-day existence right here, right now. If God exists, you aren't here by chance. You aren't a random accident. God wants you to know Him, wants you to love Him, and through Jesus, you know that He loves you. That's why we stop down every Sunday. We take communion together. We just want to let that frame our week. That the God of the universe cares that He loves. He gave His Son for you and I. He proved His love for us. If God exists, you can experience life forever with Him in heaven. He came so that you could have life with purpose right now. He came not only so that you could be so incredibly loved and know how much He loves you, but He came so that that would spill out of your life into the world around you and that you would love others, even those who are hard to love. Look at the life of Jesus. That's how He lived. If God exists. If God does not exist. If God simply doesn't exist. It really was chance. There's no hope. There's no hope. (laughs) The grave will have the last word. You are a cosmic coincidence against astronomical odds but a cosmic coincidence a speck in the cosmos without meaning (laughs) so will you gamble let me ask you this and I just want you to think about this will you gamble that there is no God will you gamble that there is no God If you gamble that God does not exist and you're right, what have you gained? What did you get out of that? If you gamble that there's no God, you're betting some very, very long odds. Thing is, even if you are right, you, <laughs> you get nothing. <laughs> And the consequences of that decision will haunt you forever. The consequences of that gamble will follow you forever. So you were right. There is no meaning. So you were right. Death is the end of it for you. So you were right. You're just here by accident. You gain nothing if you're right. If you're wrong, you lose everything. John Polkinghorne, another Brit, um, a legend in England, legendary physicist, he cashed this out for us. I love this quote. Um, He talked about the consequences of this discussion of, of God's existence. And listen to what he said about this. Polkinghorne said, God is... God is not there just to be the answer to our intellectual curiosity. Hmm, I wonder why the universe seems so fine-tuned. 
He's not there just to be the answer to our intellectual curiosity. Faith in God affects our lives in ways that have no parallels in scientific understanding. I believe most firmly in quarks and gluons as the constituents of matter. He's a physicist, okay? I believe in that, he says. But that belief leaves the greater part of me unaffected. Faith in God, the Creator, does not merely make sense of the cosmos, but it calls on me to accept my finite status as a creature and to respond in worshipful obedience to the divine majesty and the divine will of the Maker of heaven and earth. So will you gamble that there is no God? Will you bet those odds? And I wonder why you're betting those odds, if I may. I wonder what has gone on in your past. What has affected the way you think, the way you look, that you can look up at the night sky and there is no God for you. And I think honestly, and I see this on the blogosphere, I hear this in angry emails. <laughs> I think honestly a lot of people have made that, that bet because they can't stand stand organized religion. They can't stand the judgmental attitudes that they see in Christians at work or at school. They make that choice because they've seen the church do some really nasty things. Or they've made that choice because they have been hurt, they have been wounded by Christians, by churches, by their experiences. And I am so, so sorry about that. I'm so sorry that the church has hurt you. I'm so sorry that you've had these experiences. I'm so sorry that you've seen these attitudes that are not Jesus' attitudes. By the way, if you have a big problem with organized religion, in some sense you are a follower of Jesus already. (laughs) He had big problems with organized religion. In fact, his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is basically a giant diatribe against the superficiality, the double standards, the contradictions, the arrogance, the hypocrisy of religion of his day. Jesus had a big problem with organized religion too. But I'm sorry you've had those experiences, and I would love to hear your story, and you can be assured there are a lot of people here who have similar stories had those doubts and had, that, had those issues, but they're here. And they've worked through them and they've come out on the other side. Jesus loves you deeply. He gave his life for you. Our family at Preston Crest loves you deeply. We're a family of believers. We're saved by Jesus. We care about each other. We care about the world around us. And we love God. And we struggle. I don't think you need me to tell you this. If you've been here more than 20 minutes, you know this is a group that struggles. We've got our sin issues. Every single one of us struggles with sin. Every one of us. I don't care if you're 89 or 9. You struggle with sin here at Preston Crest. We do. We have doubts and questions, believe it or not, amongst us here today. Sometimes we don't get along the way we're supposed to. But here we are. 
We're doing life together. We're trusting in God's grace because we know we're not good enough on our own. I like what Abigail Adams, the first lady, said many years ago. Fantastic quote. She said, Jesus wants his church to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Isn't that great? Jesus wants his church to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And we would love to accept you and welcome you into our family, to have you as part of this congregation. And if you are looking for a church home, if you are looking for a spiritual family, we would love to have you here. And here in just a couple of weeks, let me get real practical with you, we're going to have our PC Connect workshop. You can sign up for that online, or you can come talk to me about that. A couple did this morning. Um, and we'll get you in there uh, April 13th. We'll have lunch together. You can ask your questions, and we'll have a conversation about what life is about here at this church. If you, if you want to put on Christ this morning, if you want to say yes to all that He won for you on the cross and all that means for you now, we'd love to help you put on Christ as well. Or maybe you just need prayers. And we always end up here at Preston Crest we always end up each service with just an open space where we invite people to pray over one another, pray with each other, pray by whoever's sitting by you or with your family member or your spouse or your small group or your connection or whoever. Just bring whatever it is that's, that's weighing you down. Bring that before the Father. And so that's it. It's you and it's God. And it's what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the question of God? How are you going to respond to him? Let's do that as we stand together this morning.